With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Hey guys, it doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western and Southern has partnered with us here at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success. Looking for insight on your financial future? Need an inside-the-huddle tip? Head to westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris. That's westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris to ask Western Southern and PFF your most pressing questions. You could even win tickets to the big game, so get there right now. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. It's week 14 review time. Sam, how you doing? Not bad, Steve. You? I'm great. Excellent. You're looking good in your proper cloth shirt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where are yours, Steve? Mine are at the dry cleaner. Mm. Why is that? I'm just following their instructions. Mm-hmm. They said, look, the shirt fits best when you dry clean it. Mm. And even though we're supposed to be wearing it for the podcast, yes. listen proper cloth here's the deal i'm gonna be wearing it at the college football awards in atlanta this week so i'm getting it ready i'm prepping my nice proper cloth perfectly fitted shirts for a trip to atlanta so it'll be all over social media and everything we'll have about proper cloth you look nice in yours thank you steve and you keep going with the little accented collar and everything got it gotta have the accented collar we'll have more on our friends from proper cloth but you know if you're listening right now propercloth.com slash pff you can get these nice custom shirts promo codes pff20 for 20 dollars off your first shirt let's get into the week 14 action starting with thursday night football dallas cowboys at the chicago bears and the bears keep rolling man they do the trubisk wagon before we get fully into the games though this is the last day final day of the pff cyber week sale oh yeah so cyber what was cyber, it? cyber 40. 40 gets you 40 percent off any annual subscription and this is the last day so last week when you know we knew it was ending didn't really know when today today's the day last okay. day so if you want to see all these grades that we're going to be talking about dive in go now go now because by the time 
You do it later. Might be ended. There's a big chunk of games already up, and you'll get... It's an annual deal. 40% off PFF Elite or Edge. The annual subscription, 40% off for 366 days of access. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because 2020 is a leap year. Sneaky. How about that? Yeah. 40% off, and you get an extra day. So... Because of the leap year. Thursday night football. Mitchell Trubisky is back. Bears fans are hysterically right back on board the bandwagon. Like, all it took was, what? They really are. Three weeks of not crappy play. And they're riding Mitch Trubisky. The train is, you know, choo-chooing down the track again. Let's just give credit where credit's due. He's playing better. Yes. In recent weeks. This was a game where, if we're just honest about his performance, he had a couple nice touchdown throws, tight windows. Also one of the worst interceptions you're ever going to see. He had a horrible interception. Yeah. And he had, there was a number of plays, like the bubble screen. Did you hear Joe Buck? I know a lot of people. his mind? What is he doing? It was a legit bubble screen somebody an accurate one mind you but a bubble screen somebody i think put that side by side with the helmet catch like joe buck got more excited about the bubble screen than he did about the helmet catch oh that's funny so the bubble screen and then of course what we got thrown trubisky ended up with an average grade because the interception was bad and then he had a ton of plays like the bubble screen that went for a touchdown a check down to cordero patterson that went for 20 whatever it was it was 60 percent of his yards came after the catch so he still played well he picked up a lot of yards on the ground but there's some like seven layer stat where he you know the only qb in history that had right. 50 rushing yards and a rush and a you know, three touchdowns and this number and 200 passing or whatever it is and it's like in order to get to that ridiculous stat he needed a bubble screen taking 15 yards for a touchdown or else that didn't exist so yeah. just stop with the stats so credit where credit is due over the last five weeks Mitchell Trubisky right now is a top five quarterback by PFF grades. So there we go. That's where uh, forget the individual game. Mm-hmm. The the broader sample is he is playing well. Yes, we're going to discuss this about Ryan Tannehill in a minute here. Now, how much stock do you put into small sample sizes? How much do you really weigh this stuff? I think the difficult part would say a Trubisky versus maybe a Tannehill. Tannehill's in year eight. Trubisky's in year three. So I think everybody's looking for a young quarterback to just get it at some point. So that's the thing, right? Is the we've talked before about how the human brain is hardwired to recognize patterns and almost to create patterns where it's they might not for, exist. It's just looking for a nice line. Yeah. It's looking to create patterns where they might not exist, right? And I think the same thing is true with sort of storylines. When you recognize a pattern, you want to attribute a story to it. So five weeks of really good play and you know, all right, five weeks of good play by Trubisky it's been up and down within that five weeks but five weeks he's a top five quarterback so anyone that recognizes that wants to be like well he's a young quarterback getting towards the end of the season you know the light's gone on Trubisky's got it it's clicked or we've just gone on a five game run of unusual play and the bottom line is that happens all the time quarterbacks have five game runs of outlier play good and bad consistently Every single year, you know, we're not that many years away from the Bears having it happen to them with Josh McCown. Remember? Quarterback whisperer, Josh McCown had a run. It's like, well, him in Tressman's offense, it's happened. He got it. Let's put put that together. Let's give Josh McCown a starting contract. That didn't work. No. So maybe, maybe the light has gone on for Trubisky. It's possible. I'm not ruling out that possibility. I'm just saying that if you're playing the odds, the chances of that having happened are minimal. Yeah, so and now you've got Kyler Murray in Arizona, who's his back-to-back games, the last two games have been horrendous. So you've got this rookie quarterback who's trending in the wrong direction, right? Young quarterbacks are always supposed to be trending up. Kyler's trending down. Last year, Sam Darnold, 
we always talk about him, the roller coaster ride, the steps up and down. He trended up toward the end of the season. But the proper evaluation is to still take the entire body of work. And the entire body of work with Trubisky for this year is almost identical to last year. Yeah. Bottom third quarterback. Now, the one thing I will say, if you're a Bears fan, the same thing we said last year, it's encouraging that the offense is looking right. Trubisky's making more throws, missing fewer throws. And you've got the schemed up plays, like the bubble screen for a touchdown. And you've got just but, good individual performances like Patterson creating after the catch. But that's the thing, right? He's gotten back to that average level of play where this offense is actually really good. Like, Matt, we said coming into this whole dynamic of Matt Nagy bringing over this Kansas City coaching tree offense, like, things were looking really good. Chicago have some skill position players. The system is really good. If Trubisky's just okay, things are going to be great. And that's, right. what, that's what it was year one. Trubisky was just okay in that offense. They schemed up a bunch of stuff that made his numbers look a lot better than we were saying he was playing. So if he just got a little bit better, things were going to be great. Now, that never happened. He stayed at that level and, if anything, regressed. But the points all remain the same, is that if Trubisky is playing just average football at the quarterback position, that offense functions, and it can make him look even better than that. Um but he hasn't really shown the ability to play beyond that. And if they get a quarterback that is capable of that, i.e., if they find somebody that's just capable of above-average play, right. Matt Nagy is a very capable offensive mind that will make that offense look a lot better. I mean, they're doing a good job. They've got, I mean, could Harold Patterson had the highest grade on 11 snaps the other day. He had the highest grade in the game. It was only 11 snaps, but he was creating after the catch. They have, like, J.P. Holtz creating after the catch. Um, you know, getting him in space at tight end. The offensive line graded really well, too. You've got a bunch of guys in the green there. So it does look a lot like last year for the Bears. On the other side with Dallas, it was an, it was just a weird performance, at least for Dak in that passing game. They were they just could not sustain offense, and then Dak would randomly, randomly drop a big-time throw in there. Like, he probably had the three or four best throws of the entire game. Right. But that was about all they did. And it's interesting because... So there's some plays in there. Trubisky's such an interesting thing because everybody is so emotive about him, right? And we get accused of bias all the time as if it benefits us in any way that Trubisky fails. People forget that we had Trubisky as our number one quarterback coming out in the draft. If anything, we look bad if he plays badly. But all we do is grade what happens. We have 32 NFL teams as customers. We can't, <laughs> we can't just skew it with bias and expect nobody to come back and complain about that, right? So, on the other hand, all of the Bears fans that shout about bias are inherently biased because they're Bears fans. So there's a play I had a lot of people talking to me about on Twitter where it's a sort of hitch. Trubisky fires this past Anthony Miller into really tight coverage towards the end of the first half, right? It looks like a spectacular tight window throw. But when you watch it, particularly when you watch the the all 22 tape it's only a tight window throw because trubisky is so late to it right right so and actually so some people have been like well he had to you know wait until the guy's in his lane cleared but I, but that side of the line actually crashed down on its pass rush so it, not only was it open it was unusually open like that throw is typically more of a problem than it was in this scenario because usually there's alignment somewhere in the vicinity there wasn't at all but he starts to drift out to his left, staring it down the whole way. So Jalen Smith starts to come over, and that becomes a really tight window throw. But if he just put it in the air at the time you're supposed to put that in the air, even though the defensive back is coming from the inside, 
when Miller made his break, the ball would be there. It would be a pretty comfortable um, first down conversion and standard play. You know, most quarterbacks make a play very similar to that every single week. But because Trubisky was late to it, held it on the ball, like moved out of the pocket for a while, the linebacker comes over, the defensive back gets to close back on it as well, and suddenly it becomes a really tight window. But part of what we're able to do is when you analyze all those things, you can identify when the quarterback is responsible for making his own life more difficult. Sure. So absolutely. back to that, it's like the pocket presence stuff is similar, right? Sometimes quarterbacks have real problems because of the pass protection breaking down in front of them. Sometimes they're the architect of their own problems right. by having lousy pocket presence. So this is another one of those scenarios. Depending, like If you want to see the good in Mitch Trubisky, you say, look at that tight window laser. Whereas if you're evaluating it, it also fairly, depends on who you're talking to here, Sam. Oh, yeah. There's some uh, some biased people out there that just want to see what they want to see. Look, I don't want to take anything away from Bears fans. Let them be excited. Um, buyer beware is the phrase I like to use over and over again with the small sample size stuff. So it's you know, it's going to be an interesting decision. We'll see how we finish this up with these last three weeks. Dallas is very much in the news right now. And the people aren't expecting Jason Garrett to survive at the end of the season. I mean, they're just uh, another disappointing loss. You would agree, Cowboys. right, that anyone that wants him fired now is kind of crazy? Like, there's no way they get better by firing their coach a couple weeks before the playoffs? No. Except, well, I don't know. Because that's the thing, right? It, yes, they, things are going still terrib- in the playoff. They're still in they're the race. They're still in the lead. Right. Yes, things are going terribly, but they're still in the division lead. So can you really can the coach at that point? I also still think... Dallas, I, Dallas is scary. I don't like using the, hey, nobody wants to play this team in the playoffs. I don't think Dallas is a, a bit, an easier cakewalk than, say, Seattle or some of the other teams that are going to be in the playoffs. I don't think there's a huge difference in what they're capable of once they get into the playoffs. Did you know that the two most recent teams to win their division with a losing record they won, are 2-0 right? in the playoffs? Yeah, so Seattle beat the Saints. Mm-hmm. That was... Uh, Marshawn Lynch with the crazy run. Yeah, Beastquake. Beastquake, right. What was the other one? The Panthers. I don't remember who they beat, but the Panthers won their division with the losing 2008? No, 14, I want to say. Sometime sooner than the Seahawks, right? Really? Okay, so yeah. I mean, I, so that's the thing. Like, Dallas still has a very good offense. We're in the middle of, and they have a good offense in the right area in the pass game, mm-hmm. right, where they can do some damage. And even though their defense has been picked apart, I still I, I always look at defenses as are they capable or, or you know dependent on offense sure but I think they still have capable players yeah. back there even though they've been picked apart in and if you look at the two weeks. teams they're likely to end up facing like it's what Seattle and Minnesota are the two wild cards so if they win a division yeah they they played Minnesota really tough those, I mean, right yeah. Minnesota was close Seattle you know they've got problems yeah so they, they get very easily back their way in and win they beat Seattle and they'd be at home. You're still getting a home game. That's what I mean. As division winners, potentially. All these are reasons why I'm saying, sure, Garrett might be on the way out, but not not before the season finishes. Let's let's not forget what happened to Dallas last year, too. They had a Monday night debacle against Tennessee last year. And that was like, okay, that's it. The Jason Garrett era is over. This is it. And then all of a sudden, they get Amari Cooper, and Dak's production goes way up, and then they win a playoff game. Like, let's not forget that all that stuff you know, happened last year, right? Yeah. All right, that's way too much time spent on Thursday Night Football. Way too much time. Okay. Yesterday's games. What's the order here? I I lost it for a second. What's the first game? Uh, Carolina at Atlanta. 
We're not spending too much time on this one. No. Kyle Allen, bad. Very bad. I'd, I'd like to comment on uh, the Shaq Thompson contract. Okay. Because I just uh, Go for it. had some time Saturday night and decided to really dive in deep with Shaq Thompson. All right. I don't know. Randomly. Fair enough. Nice little coverage linebacker. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy's going to hit free agency. This is, you know, the kind of um, athletic linebacker that I think the NFL is going to covet. And then that night or the next day, the Panthers lock him up to a really rich contract, which, again, I don't hate. He's having a pretty good season and, you know, okay season and coverage and all that stuff. He's just got like a lot. Linebackers are tough because they just sometimes they have a lot on their plate. And that's Shaq. He's he's on pace to face the most targets we've seen from a linebacker in the last five years. Wow. And he, only, he was only targeted once yesterday, but he's had some ups and downs in zone coverage. But I think him and Keekly together, whoever comes in, whatever the new system is, I just like that combo together. Shaq has a little bit more on his plate playing next to Keekly because you see Luke just, you know, he jumps stuff all the time. He, he guesses a lot, educated guesses, kind of hangs Shaq out to dry a little bit. But I like them as a combination. I think he's got some athleticism. Um Missed a few more tackles than we're used to seeing from him this year. But, you know, I think he's a, he's a solid player. I don't know if the money ends up just being too much for him. But he was a guy that, like, if I'm, if I'm the GM in Carolina, that's why I'm researching it. You know, the job's open. If I'm a GM in Carolina, I don't know if I go that high, but it's definitely a guy that I would have wanted to bring back. I like the idea of having Keekley and Thompson together. Yeah. That linebacker going forward. So that's what I have on that game. Kyle then, Allen. Yeah, what five, five turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, it continues to be a problem. He is chasing down Jameis for the league lead in turnover-worthy plays. Full now, James bear in mind how good. difficult that is to do because Jameis is going to throw three a game. Right. So to catch him, you need to be racking up five, which right. he was able to do. But he has now got 31 on the season, which is only two fewer than Jameis. So if Jameis is cesium, Kyle Allen has now moved into rubidium. He's rubidium. He's rubidium which means Daniel Jones has been relegated to potassium in the, in the periodic table of reactive quarterbacks. We definitely need like a whole social video on this. Kyle Allen, 46.5 grade right up there on premium stats right now. Cyber 40, get 40% off if you guys want it for the year. So at this point, we're definitely reaching the point where like, he's not starting. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that there's a whole new regime. Coming into Carolina, Ron Rivera's out. They're going to get a coach that loves analytics. They're going to get a whole front office that believes in this stuff. And I think the new front office is going to say, hey, we're going to do everything we can to find a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, he's had a pre- he's had as good an audition um, in terms of, you know, uh, opportunity as you're going to get to a free agent under oh, yeah. free agent. He basically gets an entire season to audition for the job. Shows a lot of good stuff, but just too much bad. I think it's I think it's similar to Jacoby Brissett where you're just like. This guy's going to be around as one of the better backups in the NFL right now. Yeah. There's so many impressive things. And even though we talk about, yeah, you know, young quarterback like Trubisky, you can't always expect improvement. Like there's, there's always at least a little bit of that hope. Like to your point, when you bring in Matt Castle in year 12 of his career, like you pretty much have a pretty yeah, a good idea of what he is. There's always hope that a year two of performance with Kyle Allen, that there can be a jump forward. So that's why it's pretty good backup i think going forward yeah i mean he had a chance to win himself a job as a starter and ultimately won himself a job as a career backup right it's got to be frustrating for falcons fans when you see games like this where they just drop 40 and you have caleb mcgarry and jake matthews so mcgarry the rookie who's really struggled this year has his best game of his career jake matthews plays solid matt ryan plays a good not great game but because everything around him is nice they're they're able to put up 40 i mean that's what atlanta was supposed to be 
coming into the season with a reasonable defense. I mean, that's what they were supposed to be. It's got to be frustrating seeing seeing that just uh, in spurts this year. Yeah, for Falcons I was fans. trying to work out why, why Vic Beasley graded so well, and it's because he was going up against a guy called Dennis Daly at left tackle. Yeah, the rookie tackle. Yeah, that didn't He's go had so his well. Ups and downs. Ten total pressures in this game. He surrendered. Like he hasn't been good. He's been grading badly basically since he's been in the lineup, but this was Adrian plumbing, Claiborne had his six plumbing new depth. Well. Um, yeah, I mean, though the pass rush for Atlanta really got home. Did you see uh, Dante Jackson then like lights up the play calling, which is way safer to do after they fire the head coach? Like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a questionable decision if everybody was still intact, and, right. you know, but well, he's out of the building. We're making regime changes anyway. This coaching, this play calling was lousy. <laughs> I object to all of it. Well, we mentioned how beat up the um, the Panthers are up front. You know, their their defensive tackle situation. So, Wes Horton and Kyle Love playing inside. I mean, it's just not, just not great mm. over there. So, um, that's it. Falcons win 40-20. to 20. Let's get to one of the best games of the week. Baltimore Ravens 24, Buffalo Bills 17. Just a good hard-fought playoff caliber football game in uh, windy buffalo yeah and i think the bills defense did a really good job of slowing down lamar and that offense they did if you take out the coverage bust i mean we're talking about right. three three and a half yards per drop back yeah for the ravens that was as well as anybody has played them really. right the um, bills defense is legit it happens every now listen I, I i keep bringing up weather weather certainly a factor with the pass game and all that stuff but they they handled the run pretty well that was the one thing where buffalo has improved in recent years, when when teams there are certain times when teams just decide they're going to overpower you, overpower you in Buffalo, that would happen to them. Right. Hasn't happened as much. This well, year. the other thing is, so, you know, everyone was drawing up this game. It's ironic because they covered the spread, right? Like it was six and a half points. Um, so <laughs> but so one of the things everybody was pointing to is a reason the Baltimore Ravens would cover this spread is because, you know, they run the ball better than anybody else. They run it outside better than anybody else. Buffalo struggles against the run. They particularly struggle against the run on the perimeter. But the reason this game is different um, is because it's not like you play a balanced offense that, that is good at running the ball, right? That's where you have problems because you, you're stuck having to defend everything. And when you do that, you are not as good at the at one aspect of that as the other team is. Whereas when you face the Ravens, you know they're going to come and try and run it down your throat. Therefore, you can essentially sell out and say, all right, let's really focus on the run game. Forget about the passing game. We'll figure that out in the back end. Right. And so even if you're um, in all, thing, all things being equal, if you're not actually that good against the run, you can do well against a team like Baltimore in the run game because you know what they're planning on doing. So I think Buffalo, as I say, it's sort of they, they overachieved compared with what people were uh, expecting on but it looks kind of silly saying that because Baltimore ultimately did cover the spread because of the way the game ended um, but I think their defense did a really good job against that Ravens offense particularly the rushing game even though like Lamar still had a couple of plays where like he made Matt Milano fall out of his own ankles he, did, yeah. he completely wrecked uh, Tremaine Edmonds around the edge like Edmonds calling card being super athletic freaky linebacker Lamar just ran around him like he wasn't there um, so he still had some crazy plays. And then the other thing that was interesting is so Buffalo threatened to get this close again, make this a game. The Ravens scored a touchdown, thought or looked to have put the game out of sight. Buffalo comes right back and answers and looks like they might be able to actually turn this into a really close game. But like, so 
the Ravens defense just blitzed the living crap out of Josh Allen. Yes. Yeah, it, so I, I did the... And they never the worked it out. What's that? Like, he never worked it out. I mean, there were, there were multiple times where it wasn't always Allen. It was the offensive line. I mean, there were times when there was just free rushers. Right. Most of them were overload, though. But, so there, but it also wasn't just free rushers. It was this combination. Like, when you watch bad offense, and we'll talk about it when we get to New England, when you watch bad offense, it's usually a combination. It's not just the offensive line or just the quarterback or just the receivers. It's a combination of things. When Buffalo had it set up to block, somebody lost a block. Um, there was one play that was like perfectly blocked because Baltimore, they're stacking the line of scrimmage. You don't know where they're coming from and they're stunting off of it. Yeah. If you go back to week four, when the Ravens kind of turned their defense around second best EPA against when they stunt, um, I got a whole piece. I want to write about this this week because Baltimore, we've talked about it all season as far as how they've built their defense coverage first manufacture pass rush. It's really coming true. They've got one of the worst pass rush grades in the NFL, which means winning one-on-ones they're not doing it but they're still pressuring the quarterback because they're blitzing like crazy and they trust guys to cover on the back end so there was very few plays where the bills actually blocked it up right really well and when they did Allen makes a nice throw other than that though he was under pressure 46 dropbacks 31 blitzes it was insane um both the key third downs on the last drive were overload blitzes they sent seven guys and neither time Allen was able to pick it up or not Allen, the Bills weren't able to pick it up. But the point is, when you're sending seven guys, like it's cover zero, right? The back end is one-on-one. No, like everybody right. is one-on-one. There should be somewhere to go with the ball. So like one of those third downs, Allen takes a sack on third down. They did send seven. So you can say, on the one hand, you can look at that and say, it's not his fault. They sent seven. There was a free guy. What did he have to work with? On the other hand, you can look at it and say, that means that the back end is one-on-one across the board, right? There's a pass to be made. Now, you may be putting it into tight coverage because it's, you know, man on man. But it's better than a sack. Right. But it's, it's a chance you've got to take. You have to at least put the ball in the air and throw it to somebody and hope they can make a play. They didn't do that. And then the very last play, you actually get the ball in the air and Marcus Peters breaks it up. Like, pass, break up, game over. Earl Thomas rushed the passer, blitzed <laughs> 10 times yesterday. He had rushed only 15 times since 2012 coming into the season. So between 2012 and 18, he blitzed 15 times. Yesterday, he blitzed 10 times. He's now up to 48 yeah. on the season. I, so I've heard people say, you know, how in the NBA, they're talking about it's kind of becoming like a positionless game. So you've got your small. You know, I don't know if you know anything about basketball, Sam, based off watching you play. But your small forward is wow. becoming your. Wow. Wow. What do you mean? Hmm. You admitted yeah. you've never played basketball. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right, I'm in a rough stretch playing too. Mm. But listen, in the NBA, your bigs are playing the small game, and your small guys are playing the big. Like every every, you know, it's just kind of like blending together. People have brought this concept up on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL. We talk about Derwin James all the time. Here's a pat a guy who could be a pass rusher, but he's a safety linebacker size body. Like he's got it all. Right? The Ravens look like they're playing positionless football out there. They have Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark just playing in and around the line of scrimmage. They don't have a great just straight-up designated pass rusher, but they're always able to free up a guy like Matthew Judon off the edge, stunting him and all that stuff. Other than the guys that have their hand on the dirt and then the guys that are outside just straight-up playing corner, it's almost like that other four or five guys, your linebackers and your safeties, are they all just blending together? I mean, they have Brandon Carr dropping back and playing safety sometimes. I mean, so they are 
playing what looks like positionless football. And this isn't, again, completely unique. We've seen the Patriots and Steelers do a lot of that, you know, amoeba front type of stuff and having hybrid players. But the, the Ravens are doing it extremely well. Get guys that can cover on the back end and then create stuff up front. Phantom pressure, extra pressure, create one-on-ones in the O-line with five-man blitzes. They're doing it fantastic right now. Yeah, Earl Thomas had 10 rushes. Chuck Clark, another safety, had 16. That's what I'm saying. They're those, all around those the Those two combined for, what, seven total pressures as Can well. I, so, so it was working. So all that said, Josh Allen yesterday was one for seven on 20-plus yard passes. It's amazing. How bad he is at that? He did. Have, he had one pass that was dropped by yeah. Cole Beasley. That was his best pass of the day. And put in a beautiful one to Dalton Knox. The, Dawson, yeah, Dawson, I had the one. Dawson, Dawson Knox? Yeah. Not he had the, no. It's Dawson. He had the one-handed catch. Should be Dalton. Which was nice. So essentially two for seven as far as on target goes. But the first, like, four misses down the field were by a mile. And right. I know swirling wind and blah, 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 all that stuff. As much as we are saying, good job, Ravens defense, there were open throws down the field. These are the hidden plays in the game where it's like, oh, for one, where that easily should have been a 40-yarder. There's just no touch on them. I don't know if if... if I don't know how deliberate it is because of the wind that he's just trying to fire them in there with zero arc on it and just trying to beat the wind with velocity. But if you're going to put the ball in the air deep down the field because a guy is one-on-one, the arc you put on it gives you margin for error. Right. right? If you put it up in the air and give it some breathing room, the receiver can adjust to where it's going to be because he's got time. If you fire it in there like a howitzer, if you're off, he's got no shot to adjust. It's just missing him. And that's what's happening at the moment. Especially with all the space there. Because there's so many guys in and around the line of scrimmage, there's a lot of space out in the secondary to let your receivers adjust. Uh, Allen's footwork was just poor. He missed some short throws by a mile. He missed his first throw was a, a deep crosser that looked like he was trying to throw a seam route. And it was one of those, is it a miscommunication or did he really miss by a mile? I think he just um, straight up missed it based off where his footwork was. So he was off. You know, that's um, that was Allen yesterday still nearly led the comeback it was an exciting game that bill's defense really gives them a chance though yeah it keeps them in it gives them a chance i can't say enough about how good a job that defense did against the ravens i mean i think that's as impressive as anybody has played them in a long time yep absolutely so ravens 24 buffalo 17 we've got the uh bengals at cleveland 27 to 19 browns victory another weird game dalton had a pick six to denzel ward and then Baker Mayfield Mm. stat line was terrible. Let me just give you a breakdown on the stat line stat line. He had three passes that would up his passer rating by about 40 points because he had his two best throws fell incomplete two big time throws right along the sideline where his receivers couldn't haul it in. And one of his interceptions went right to his receivers hands and Mm -hmm. then was ripped out. Now he did. The grade will offset that because he did fire one right at a linebacker. It was also ridiculous, by the way, like that should have been should have been a catch, catch, right? And a first down. That was one of those plays like I saw it ruled an interception. Then I saw the replay. And then I turned my attention to another game. Right. And after I saw the replay, I'm like, oh, that's going to be a catch. And then I look up and Dalton threw a pick six. I was like, wait a second. So yeah. that means they called it an interception. And then it's that was one of weird. those ones you take a look at in the replay and like, oh, that's obviously going to get overturned. You know, these calls happen. It's a fast game. You make you, poor decisions get made by officials. That's what replay's here for. It'll sort it out. And then they're like, call in the field stands. What? Like, he caught it, landed on the ground, and the guy just took it off him. And they were like, yep, pick. Just, a, just an example of how crazy box score stats can lie. Baker's 11 of 24 for 192, two picks, 38.9 passer rating. If the two big-time throws, which hit his receiver's hands and should have been caught, if they just, you know, stay in bounds, 
and that interception that shouldn't have been isn't. He goes, he adds uh, about 80 yards, and passer rating goes to 79.1. So from 38.9 to 79.1, just yeah. as an example. Baker's frustrating because we're now going to sound like Baker stands based off. I'm just trying to tell it exactly like it. He didn't I, I play well that. again, but I'm just, I'm just explaining box score stats, people. Yeah. That's all. I know. He's just, he's got this irritating habit right now of being every single week, he's got a couple of these plays where it's, ugh. Like he's going to grade better than the numbers look because of these plays. We're very cautious not to do that. I mean, I we don't just like it to swing the other way for a while. We're certainly not trying to, yeah. to play or where he actually starts to look better than the grade is. We're not grading based off our priors. I, I know. But I'm just annoyed that we have to keep like Baker's the guy every week where it's like, I know. just, you know, actually have some bad plays in there. I don't have much more else bad plays. on this game. Brown's kind of staying alive here. Yeah, they're right up there with the Colts now, record-wise. Six. And, I mean, this is what we said, right? The Browns are going to finish strong, eight and eight, nine yeah. and seven, and it's like, all right, some momentum for the offseason. Momentum, a game that they should have won. Still Cincinnati. a lot they need to fix. You know, like the things have got. It's all the problems are still there. They're winning games because their schedule's gotten easier, but all the issues that were killing them earlier in the season still pretty much exist. Right. So there we go, Washington Redskins. That's the Green Bay Packers. Packers win 20-15. to 15. Man, Green Bay just loves making some of these. Their offense is still rough right now. Rodgers had another poor game. He had a, um, one beautiful big-time throw up the seam. But this was... Um, he threw one back across his body, dropped by a linebacker. So he has he's only thrown four picks in two years. Yeah. Ridiculous. Should have a few more, but... Only four picks in two years, the last two seasons. But he had that really bad fumble as well, where he basically invited a sack and then dropped the ball. Rodgers still fallen into this groove where he had plays. He had plays to make, and he's inviting pressure, and he's not throwing on rhythm. And, you know, we have these numbers in the database, too. Anytime you disguise coverage, Rodgers' grade drops by a mile historically. I don't know how much to make of it, but you could see that in this game. Anytime the Redskins went from too high to single high with the safety rotation or whatever, it took him off his first read, and then he was done. That was pretty consistent in this game as far as the Redskins confusing Rodgers. The entire Green Bay offense surrendered uh, 12 total pressures worth of uh, pressure to the defense. Rodgers was charged with four of them. Yeah. So Rodgers was charged with double the amount of pressures of any single Green Bay offensive lineman. Like, he... He's always done this, but it's. I mean, this was a perfect example of just how bad it can be. No Packers offensive lineman surrendered more than two total pressures. Now, Billy Turner's just two were both sacks, so it's not like it was good. But two sacks, nothing else. Rodgers was charged for a sack, two hits of himself, and a hurry. So, yeah, he's just making his own life difficult. This is what we were talking about before. And we're talking about a Washington secondary where Quentin Dunbar only played 19 snaps and. You know, Simeon Thomas is out there for 38. He had never played more than, you know, 10 in a game in his career. Jimmy Moreland's out there uh, for 47 snaps. He's just starting to kind of get into the groove of things. I mean, he's they're facing this inexperienced, um, pretty much no-name secondary for Washington right now. Washington's very much in that Miami mode, you know, where which of these guys is going to be a part of the rebuild now going forward. Um, by the way, I noted a couple plays by Landon Collins that just looked like he got owned by Jimmy Graham. I think it was an overthrow. And then by Aaron Jones, it looked like an overthrow. Landon in man coverage looked like he was in uh, playing in quicksand. Well, and I don't know if it showed up in the... Let me see. 
if it showed up in the stats. Never been a strength. No, did not um, show up one of the uh, gave up a 25 yarder. But the uh, Terry McLaurin versus Jair Alexander matchup was pretty fun. Um, they didn't actually go. It wasn't that much to it, but four targets, two catches of 23 yards when Jair was covering him. Now uh, McLaurin made a one handed snag for a touchdown that was pretty absurd. I don't know. So first off, the first passing play for the Washington, you got to go check it out. McLaurin whooped Jair. He was past him. Haskins never got there. The McLaurin touchdown, I couldn't tell if he was supposed to stay up the seam a little bit more Mm -hmm. or if Haskins just missed the throw. I think he should have kept it a little bit tighter to the seam, but he obviously recovered with a nice one-handed catch. So McLaurin just looks different when he's running routes, though, man. He knows how to set up corners. He knows how to... Mm -hmm. He's dynamic in and out of his cuts. I mean, it's... It's just a really nice piece to to build upon. Poor old Darius guy. He's got hurt again. Yeah. Banged up, man. Dude can't catch an injury break. Um, I don't know. So I'm just, I'm looking at big picture. Aaron Jones just, you know, did a really nice job in all phases again. This, um, you know, Rogers performance, the advanced analytics have been anti Rogers for a few years now. Our grades are starting to catch up to him as well over these last you know, since about week eight or so, not looking all that good, including two of the worst games that we've seen from him probably in the last five years. Yeah, I mean, so, he's taking himself in the wrong direction. Yeah, just wise. notable for Green Bay moving forward. Uh, Dwayne Haskins just, you know, just looks a tick slow still at quarterback despite last week. You know, he made a few nice throws last week, but there's just, well, this just week, disjointed effort. This week, things went back to the way they've, they've been all season long. Last week, for some weird reason, um, McLaren was the guy screwing Haskins out of stats. Yeah. Whereas every other week of the season, it's been Haskins screwing McLaren out of numbers. So that's it. Packers 20, Washington 15. What you have on this Minnesota 20 to 7 victory over the Detroit Lions? Mm. This was as conclusive a win as you're going to see for a team that's dealing with a lot of busted up injury, injured players. Um, the Vikings pretty much annihilated. Uh, Detroit start to finish. Detroit score came late in the game, um, made it look a little bit brighter than it could have been for most of this game. This looked like it was heading to be a shutout the whole way. It looked like a Mike Zimmer defense against a third string quarterback. Yeah, yeah, which is what we saw. Uh, it also produced some sort of interesting things, right? Danell Hunter has a career game, three sacks. Three sacks. Um, David Blau, like at least two of them were Blau just like I don't know what he was doing in the pocket, but getting christian ponder syndrome of thinking you can outrun all these crazy athletic defensive linemen and just running into dinner hunter a bunch of times so you know hunter has had three sacks i think are they still the only three pressures he had in the game no he's had a he's had a hurry added to that somewhere um but essentially the three sacks were a not really of his own making in terms of he didn't have to beat people to do it he just had to wait until blau either ran into him or started running around behind the line of scrimmage and chase him down um, and two, like he didn't really get any other pressure either, despite 46 pass rushes. So sack-wise, it looks great, but Donnell Hunter has had many, many superior games to this. Yeah, and I saw you noticed that, uh, this put year. that on the website in your uh, observations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunter still has and then a ton of pressures this year overall. So There was another great play in this game where uh, this was... You remember every now and again, Kirk Cousins has one of those brain farts where it's like, what were you trying to do? Third and six. Crazy chaos happening. Cousins, there's a few times in this game where he was under duress, and usually Cousins has some pretty ugly pocket presence, right? Generally, once a guy gets a hand on him, bad things are going to happen, right? 
Yeah, he might shake out of that guy, but right. he's going to do something bad. So he'd actually been navigating a few of those and escaping and making some plays. Not this play. Third and six. A couple of guys get hold of him. Cousins dancing around, making something happen, and then try desperately to throw a pick six by, like, in the grass, guys getting to him. Just, I, I don't even, tosses it right to a defender. Like, there was no possible scenario. That bounced scenario. right back to him, right? Yes. Did he catch it? I think so, yeah. There was no possible Saving scenario. percentage. By which this could end up as anything good. Yeah. Like, he threw it right. There was no way of even getting it around this guy to somebody beyond him. Like, it was a terrible play. Did he catch it? I can't remember if he caught it. Anyway. It definitely looked like he did. I don't know if they ultimately ruled the as a catch. The, um, you know, the Minnesota beat guys that I follow, it is funny. Like, the, the tweets you get from them, they felt like they were just at this ter- They just couldn't wait to see what the rest of the NFL was doing. Like, just get us out of this game so that we could see what else is going on. What are we missing? And then, um, was it a reef posted? Um, I think he posted Cousins' post-game comments about completion percentage, which were very thoughtful and insightful, which he was right. Because somebody was essentially like, hey, you you got a really high completion percentage. You're throwing the ball accurately. And he's like, well, there's a million other things that go into it. It's how open are you? It's, you know, are you... Uh, are you checked down Charlie mm. or throwing the ball down the field? Cousin said you don't want to be checked down Charlie. Mm. He's got so much self-awareness about this stuff. He knows when he's checked down Charlie. Darius Slay against Stephon Diggs was a really fun one-on-one matchup. Oh, yeah, always. They both had some wins in there. Yep. Diggs really put on a clinic of route running in this game. It's like you always say that you, everybody wants to see this line. There are so many matchups in the NFL where it's just you won, you win some, you lose some. And at the end of the day, maybe the grade isn't great for either of them, but it's like, hey, this was a, yeah. a heavyweight battle between two really good players, and um, it's just what happens. You know, there's not always a clear winner. True. 20-7, to 7, Minnesota over Detroit, and the NFC just continues to be loaded with teams with nine-plus wins. Yeah. We'll have to unpack the uh, playoff picture in the preview pod. Looking forward to week 15. One of the other games of the day, 49ers, 48, Saints, 46 a big 12 game broke out in new orleans again this tends to happen in the dome every now and again you just it's just the big 12 happening this is one of the games of this is the game everybody wants right we said this last year with the rams chiefs shootout insanity yeah this is the game that everyone thinks is the greatest thing ever to happen to football which is everybody scores 40 plus you know defense is optional a lot of the times and this is, I, I don't know, I, it never sits entirely well with me that, I don't know that this game was dramatically better than Baltimore-Buffalo. It just scored double the amount of points. So right. everyone thinks it was better. But was it? I um, mean, it's better because there's more back and forth, right? There's a lot of lead changes. True. So that makes for more excitement I mean, because I guess, of more points. You know, if Buffalo had tied it up at the end and then Baltimore had gone down, Justin Tucker field goal to win, yada, yada. But you know what I mean? Like, the fact that the the fact that there was... Both sides cleared 45 points is what inherently makes this the greatest game ever in everybody's eyes. But you had so much in this, too, because you have like a straight up jump ball to Emmanuel Sanders where he goes up he and scored on up. an arm punt. Yes. Like the two of them. Like that's like bad. Were, that's bad defense. If you pause the right frame in that, it looks like Emmanuel Sanders is about to fair catch you with the gunner <laughs> right. bearing down on him. Whereas actually what was happening is that Jimmy G had just put the ball into orbit. He was waiting for it to come down. And at the same time. Was it Von Bell or Eli Apple? One of the two of them was like falling over. Marcus Williams? Could have been Marcus he was Williams. In the Whoever was too, is the deep guy. Just falls over. Sanders catches the fair the, the punt and then wanders his way into the end zone. I, I posted Jimmy G's um, deep passing numbers on Twitter. I was more trying to make a point, him versus Josh Allen. That was the only one that he completed yesterday. One for one for 75 yards. 
Um, it was pure luck, but he has completed more 20 plus yard passes than Josh Allen on like 35 fewer attempts or 30 yeah. fewer attempts. And um, he's got two more drops than Josh Allen on those passes. Just Allen's for numbers are insane. This was another crazy officiating call in this game, right? The uh, Jared Cook scored a touchdown that in no way should have stood. No, so so here's an interesting note because, you know, Drew Brees and Tom Brady are battling to go surpass Peyton, Peyton touchdown for number. touchdown passes. So there was a Jared Cook touchdown that shouldn't have been, mm. and there was a Nikhil Harry touchdown that should have been. True. And Brees is up one now yeah. on Brady. That's the difference. That is the difference. Two touchdown swing. In their touchdown career. Um, also, you've got Kyle Shanahan with some creative play calling. Emmanuel Sanders had the 31-yard touchdown pass. And then he ran the option with Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah. These, so trick plays, right? People should use more of them. They work? They do. They, they work. People should use more of them. They are good plays. And I'm not saying that, you know, you run a trick play offense. I'm just saying that right now teams are averaging. I, don't, I haven't actually checked what the average is. But let's say we're averaging one a game, one every other game, right? Yeah. How about two? How about three? Just add let's it, just yeah. see adding. Let, let's find where the balance is, right? Because particularly like the um, the trick play pass that the 49ers ran, right? It's this, you know, end around pass, all that kind of stuff. Now, there's I don't see a I don't see a downside to running those, right? Assuming your guy basically either the defense is going to bite up on that because you can't possibly not, in which case guys wide open behind and he would have to be a terrible passer of the ball for that to be a dangerous pass. Or like you start running more of those now defenses have to honor the crazy in-behind pass, in which case you're making them automatically worse at defending the thing you're faking. So I'm just saying, let's start ramping up the number of trick plays we run and see where the balance is, see where the tipping point is, where they become worse. The, the law of diminishing returns kicks in, and they're bad. I don't think right now we're anywhere near where that level should be. Where do you, uh, where do you throw the Taysom Hill stuff in there? Is that all trick plays? I, I mean, I think... Taysom Hill is more of a they run more conventional plays just with him as a weird right. part of the offense than they do run trick plays with Taysom Hill they tried to run him it is interesting when you see things evolve earlier in the year they ran Taysom Hill up on a wheel I think it was Chicago maybe complete or Arizona complete busted coverage 49ers covered that well um, it does give you a little bit more to prepare for when you're trying to figure out where's Taysom Hill yeah. But, but like at the same 49ers, time you have to practice it too 49ers ran some trick plays in here the Patriots have they scored on anything that isn't a trick play in the last few weeks? Not really. Um, like, trick plays work. They statistically, they gain more yards, have a better touchdown to interception ratio than conventional plays. Um, if you limit it to just non-quarterback passes on trick plays, the yards per attempt goes through the roof. It's like four yards higher than regular plays. So, like I say, I'm not saying you run them as your base offense or anything, but I think we could definitely push the frequency of those things without any noticeable loss of um, impact offense. Yeah, In fact, absolutely. I think they make things better. Uh, Drew Brees for the Saints um, just looked really comfortable and sharp, just kind of a classic Brees performance, 29 of 40 for 349, five passing touchdowns, had the QB sneak. You mentioned that the Cook one, but I mean, um, he found Cook in the deep middle of the field a couple times early in the game. Um, they schemed some stuff open. He hit some big throws. It was um, just even just looking at his passing map. He completed passes to every quadrant of the field. You know what I mean? And this is 
the Saints offense where we talked about he had not been completing passes down the field. He had two at 20-plus yards. He had a bunch at the intermediate level. Um, so this was probably the best you know, balanced passing attack that the Saints have shown all season. And they did it against the tough 49ers defense. Home, dome, or not, it's still, you know, the Niners have played really well defensively this year. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that this should, this game should scare uh, opposing defenses because of what Drew Brees is able to do. I know they lost the game, but there are people out there that didn't think Drew Brees still had this game in him. Oh, yeah. You know, he went deep. He actually took advantage of some of those deep shots. He was aggressive in a way we haven't seen for a lot of this season. This was the game that, <clears throat> that a lot of Drew Brees detractors have said probably wasn't still in his arsenal, that we're going to run up against a team in the postseason like San Francisco, and he doesn't have it in him to get it done anymore. He just showed that he's well capable of doing that. Um, so, yeah, I think this was this was a game to put the Saints, if they weren't already, like everybody should be pretty scared including the 49ers of playing this Saints team yeah and I do think I mean this is such a big win because if the Saints I don't think anybody ever wants to play the Saints in the dome I, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue to say this every year even though they lost their last year um doesn't matter they if they have to travel to San Francisco or Green Bay I do think that's a different offense it's it's you know I still think Breeze playing in you know, either a windy San Francisco or a cold Green Bay, it's just a little different, yeah. right? Whereas that comfort level playing in the Dome. Now, granted, it works against the Saints' defense a lot, too, because the other opposing quarterback comes in and he's got, you know, pristine passing conditions as well, which is why sometimes a Big 12 game breaks out. But I don't. I think you just want to get Breeze on the road right. but this, I mean, in the playoffs. Was, yeah, this was huge for the 49ers in terms of being able to rest home field advantage away. Um, and at least force the Saints to have to come. This is still a long way to go yeah. with all this sure. in the NFC. But in theory, that's a huge thing for them because, A, I think this was a huge game proving Drew Brees still has that kind of game in him, and, B, having just escaped with a win, the 49ers don't want to have to go back there in the playoffs. Right. All right, so huge win for the 49ers, 48-46. to 46. I think it went over in the first half. Yeah. Um, it was So Saints drive back late, take the lead, 49ers have seconds on the clock. Basically, their entire game plan on that final drive was just get the ball to Kittle. Um, and what was it? So the, the play before the big play where he like rumbled through 15 yards of face mask penalty. to <laughs> right. Like one play put them in field goal range, essentially. The play before that, they actually blanketed him, right? They sort of sent Kittle on back-to-back plays released in that sort of two-way go running right. back move that you see, the sort of pivot route where you see them that's the basically the play that they run on when it's one-on-one drills at the senior bowl, right? And it's, let's see if the linebacker can cover the running back. No shot. Right. Ever. Basically, it never has a hope. The only way you can actually cover that is if you guess which way he's going to go and basically just beat him to the point. Um, and I suspect that's what happened here, right? But back-to-back plays, Kittle release with that kind of option route. First time he cuts inside, the Saints player guessed, lined up inside, took away that leverage, and broke up the pass. Second play, he went right back to it. This time he broke outside, oh. and now it's just game over. And Garoppolo actually hit him. He missed right. him on the first one, too, even when he was covered. Because at that point, Kittle's going to rumble. Kittle picked up 66 of his 67 receiving yards after the catch, including on that big rumble. And, you know, you, when you look at this 49ers passing offense, Emmanuel Sanders had 157. Kittle had his 67. Debo Samuel emerging. He had two drops, but he's open consistently mm-hmm. and able to create after the catch. And then you have a guy like Kendrick Bourne just picking up a couple touchdowns 
in the tight red zone. And Kyle Juszczyk catching three passes. They are doing a really nice job in that system, spreading the football around. I'm most impressed by the 49ers showing that they can win different types of games. They've won defensive struggles. They've won despite Jimmy G red zone bad decisions this year. They've won shootouts. Mm -hmm. The Niners continue to just, um, you know, maybe convince some doubters week after week. I mean, honestly, the best part about this game was the fact that both those teams are legit. Like, both those teams look like really good, complete sides that will be really tough outs in the playoffs. All right, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Proper Cloth. As I said, all of my Proper Cloth right now is at the dry cleaner Mm. because it'll be back for the Wednesday, Thursday pod. Might have to record it early because I'll be in Atlanta for the College Football Awards rocking my Proper Cloth stuff under my suit. I got some shirts that were good for suits. Mm -hmm. I got some stuff that was a little bit more casual stuff that I can wear on the podcast, and I know you mixed it up and, uh, you know, got a whole bunch of different styles over there, right? Well, most of my stuff was podcast casual on the basis, yeah. so that's what we're there for. And then I got one, you know, a little bit fancier. That I'm looking podcast classy. it up on NFL Network and that kind of thing, yeah, as true. well as the podcast. It's all custom fit, which is what I need at 6'10", 275 pounds. I need, I'm slim. I'm an athletic fit. 275? Yeah, 275. Yeah. That's where, since we started playing basketball. Look, I know that the skill set a two nine two one time yeah. this summer, uh-huh. but since we started playing hoops, we're I fluctuate. Uh-huh. It depends on water weight. Did people, by the way, see you, we got your dunk, I don't want your to vertical on video? How did you not get me? Go- I went coast to coast the previous day, threw it down in no. a five on five game. You weren't there. Oh, okay. Because the last time I saw you was you essentially leaping your way into a crowd of bodies and almost just skittling everybody. I've been going with the uh, finger roll instead of the power dunk. I, I was trying to two-hand throw down, and it just didn't work. Well, so, you know, we had Eric decided to get his dunking. He's proud of his dunking prowess, right? He's only like 6'3". He traveled. He's like 6'3", you know, not in the best shape in the world. Like, And he can still get up there and dunk. So he's proud of that. We wanted to get that on video. Mike broke out the phone, got Renner. Then, you know, Renner can dunk because he weighs like 150 pounds and, you know, is relatively athletic. Runs a 4'8". Right. Yeah. yeah. So Renner can dunk. Um, it's going to be a while before I get the hops back. It's going to be the last yeah. thing to come back. I'm getting speed back now. Then next, I think, is the hops. Plus, I'm only like, you know, 5'11". So that's going to take some doing. You, though. So we anyway, we break out the phone, get Eric's dunk on video, and then we got two attempts at you dunking. And as we said, at 6'10", like, if you can't dunk, there's problems. I can dunk. Well, you didn't. You were 0 for 2 on video. No, it was 0 for 1. You were it 0 was for only 2. one video posted. There was I was trying to go two-hand. If, if the goal was to just get your hand over the rim and dunk, like, that's easy. I was trying to go two-hand, power dunk. <laughs> there was one video posted. There were two that made their way to Renner's phone. Whatever. I can dunk. I'm just saying I'll that it's 6'10 it. with your vertical. Do so you understand optimal. how ad reads work? Sure. You've killed it. I haven't killed it. This is all part of the story. Anywho, proper cloth. This has nothing to do with proper cloth. Who produces fabric from the best producers in the world. Each one of the shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. I can attest to that. Where do the people have to go? So they have to go to propercloth.com slash PFF, and then if you use the promo code PFF20, you'll get $20 off your first shirt. The shirts start as low as $80. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. They range, but you could start as low as $80. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Again, I made that decision a few years ago. Has changed my life. Start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. I do love 
you know, they created one that was a little bit too big for me. I didn't put yeah. my measurements in right. I sent it back. I cannot believe how quickly they turned these things around. Too. Yeah. They sent us our stuff the very, very The ability quickly. to customize them is insane, right? Because not only can you do it from sort of style, you know, material, color, accent features, uh, extra, you know, then you get all the sort of sizing and uh, sort of various style, like no pockets on mine, right? I decided I was going to lose the pockets. What, who's ever used Dish, a shirt huh? pocket? I'm right? right. Nobody uses them no. unless you're like a doctor and you put pens in there. I'm not. So I don't need them. So I was like, you know what? I don't. They've got three or four different types of pocket styles. Like, I don't even need the pockets. I'm losing them. Lost the pockets. Um, all kinds of different. You can choose the, you know, the cuff style, all kinds of stuff. Very yeah. impressed by the sheer spectrum, the breadth of the customized ability. Very easy to use. Answer 10 easy questions. They'll fit it to you. And it comes with a perfect fit guarantee. So if it doesn't fit, you send it back completely free. It's great. Propercloth.com slash PFF. Promo code is PFF20. All right. AFC East showdown. Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. Jets win 22-21. What you got on this one, Sam? Ryan Fitzpatrick is a national treasure and he must be protected. We, need, we, to find, we need to find a way to just start feeding him HGH and testosterone replacement or whatever it is we need to do to keep him on the field. Just have, you have Jameis. Because it's glorious. Jameis is Fitz. No, he's not. Jameis is like a poor man's Fitz. It's not as poor fun. man. It's not as fun. Fitz, at some point yesterday, took off running, right? <laughs> Offloaded in the tackle to an unsuspecting tight end as if he was playing in the Rugby World Cup. Like, it was ridiculous. Nobody in the world as a quarterback has ever attempted that before. And Fitzpatrick's just like, well, I see a guy there. He, he, but now you keep going, and you just get swamped by the other three guys right next to him. But watching Fitzpatrick play is too fun for it to ever end. I agree. It doesn't always go well, but it's hilarious. He's not the guy you want in the tank job, though. No, he's not. The more Joe Burrow looks good, man, the worse it looks to start Fitz. And win those games accidentally, if you're the Dolphins. Well, not just accidentally. Like, they're really trying. Flores was big-time mad at the end of that game because they got hosed out of another pass interference he call. Was. He was really mad. Like, at some point, you need to start looking at the draft and, you know, stop trying to win. They continue to just trot out. You know, Ken Webster's out there with uh, 29 snaps yesterday. Was that it now? He's, he's played a little bit over the last few weeks. They just re-signed Eric Rowe, who's really, you know, I've, I've always kind of liked Eric Rowe. Um, but they resigned him to a long-term deal. Have you seen their offensive line left to right? Well, all I know is the Jets' pass rush grades were really, really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, let me read you what they started with: um, left tackle Julian Davenport, who, as we all know, is just a couple of things away from becoming a viable left tackle, and therefore the future of the Houston Texans. And he was the best one. Yeah, left guard Evan Bohm. Center, Daniel Kilgore, who's several years removed from ever being viable. Uh, right guard, Keaton Sutherland, who sounds like a movie star. Does. Uh, right tackle, Jesse Davis. Then we had Durham Smythe getting snaps at tight end. Um, this, like, it's just, <laughs> you can't win with that offensive line. Patrick Laird playing running back yeah, again. Because finally, you know, they've been forced away from the Kalen Balazs thing through no like actual decision-making just through injury. Um, but like you genuinely, it's, it's virtually impossible to win games with that group of players. And yet Fitz has them right there every single game. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, so the Jets actually got some pass rush against that, uh, 
that terrible offensive line. You've got guys like Nathan Shepard with monster games and Folo Fadakasi, my uh, my favorite run stopper mm. in the league, actually you know grading well as a pass rusher. Even Henry Anderson went a little above and beyond with three QB hits to lead <laughs> the Jets. Four total pressures. That's double as usual. That's right? what I mean. It's usually two on 26. You know, he had four on 35. Steve McClendon, Jordan Jenkins had one of the best games of his career. So uh, kudos to the Jets wasn't pulling enough, it off. Wasn't enough to stop Quinn and Williams being anonymous in his rookie season. Um, Sam Darnold has started to step back down. So if you look at the... Wait, did anybody have up? the ginger talent yesterday? Darnold didn't play well. Dalton didn't play well. It's Monday Night Football. Wentz. Wentz, Wentz against the today, Giants. tonight is going to be Wentz amazing. Has it tonight. But look at Darnold. He went up. Yeah. He's on his way back down. So if the, if the steps to Darnold continue we'll see weeks 15 16 and 17 back uh back down we'll see if he can offset that a little bit well if he if that line continues as ekg then next week is going to be abysmal yeah he's on his way back down but i like that so so carson wentz is going to have a an mvp caliber game on monday night football because against the giants there's yeah. nobody left with ginger talent remaining to play i mean he'll be fired up going up against a hall of famer mm-hmm. so anyway Bucks 38, Colts 35. Yeah. Flaming Jameis. This is the most Jameis of anything. Sees him out there. She's highly volatile. Three turnover-worthy plays, three actual interceptions. Uh, Nice pick six to Darius Leonard. Four big-time throws. Threw for 460-plus. This was the full Jameis experience. It is incredible. Like, at some point, you know, so... A lot of the data points to these guys that are highly volatile as actually being more valuable than an Alex Smith, middle of the road, you know, super conservative guy who's only going to give you X amount of value add. But at some point, it's too volatile, right? Oh, at at some some point. point, Yeah, there's been many games this year where it's been too volatile. You can't throw four turnover-worthy plays or fumbles and all that stuff and win. You know, these sort of reactive medals, right? At some point... The thing is too reactive, and it's too much of a pain in the ass to actually store this thing in any way that doesn't make it explode. You know, you've got to pack it in, like, oil and in a container, and, like, you can't. You have to have it taken around by, like, an armored car and a padded thing. Like, at some point, it's more hassle than it's worth. That's where Jameis is, right? I, so I, I put it in my notes today. I mean, there are, there are multiple seasons now under his belt. This year is in one of them where he's led top 10 passing offenses by EPA. Now, listen, I understand he he has not created as a top 10 quarterback yet, but it's part of this whole, like, when the, the way we analyze football here at PFF, it's trying to, you know, put each position and positional value and put it aside and all that stuff. If you're trying to build a passing offense and you have a quarterback who might PFF grade in the middle tier, can you put enough around him to elevate them to a top 10 passing offense honestly i think that's what's happened with the dak this year we keep saying that dak has played better than Jameis way more often over time but Jameis has led top 10 epa driven offenses that's expected points added it, you know it's essentially more good than bad mm-hmm. right but can you it's just cringeworthy along the way can you deal with the cringeworthy stuff along the way or honestly, can you create a pass defense that can keep up with it? So that's the thing, right? Is that he's he at the moment? There's just the, the the bad plays are too bad, and there's too many of them. That unless you actually surround him with this quality defense, he's digging too many holes to climb out of. 
So whereas, you know, you look at a season ago in particular, right, the Kansas City Chiefs, their offense was so devastating that the defense, if it just got halfway viable, they were going to be able to slow down the opposition to the point where they win a shootout every single week. Like at the moment, this this Bucks defense, it doesn't just need to be viable. They need to actually get a decent pass defense to buy Jameis enough free possessions that he can throw a few of them back. Because he yeah. can't, otherwise he can't win the shootout because he's going to cause enough of problems himself that he gifts the opposition too many possessions. So usually you say, hey, give me the game manager and you pair him with a good defense and that's how you play winning football. Yeah. I'm saying you get the good pass defense like that, that, you can, that can handle short fields and yes. various things like that and just keep it close enough because I think in crunch time or if you need to, if you need a score, this guy can drive you down the field. He can. This, I, I just think it, you have a game like yesterday that completely clouds the decision-making for the Bucks. It's tough to invest in him long-term. Part, part of the appeal with drafting him, I think, was hoping that you, in the first five years, you stumbled into one of those high-end years, and it's like, all right, this is worth it. Like, if you can make a Super Bowl run in one out of five years, it's fine. That's the Eli method, because every other year was, meh, not Hall of Fame worthy, mm. right? You didn't get that from Jameis. Now, to, to pay for that is really risky. To pay for it's risky. Yeah. To draft it is less risky because there's less money involved. Well, the and other then you thing can, is, you can build around it. Like, how long do you stick with that, right? You're basically you're saying that it's, it's, it's playing the odds, right? How, how long do you stick with a guy that you know is capable of winning, but it's a long shot? I'm just I'm fascinated by the like Jameis versus Derek Carr, right? Because I've said this many times. If you just flipped those guys, who who wins the trade? And I, and I literally get fifty fifty when I put these polls out there, where it's like Raiders fans are like, "You idiot! I would never take Jameis." And then you know, Bucks fans are like, "No, I wouldn't want Carr. I don't want conservative Derek Carr on my team." But we have another game of Derek Carr, which we'll get to, where it's like, "Here's a shootout." And you continue to dink and dunk and not like you could make these big throws, but you're not like if you put Jameis on the Raiders yesterday, it, they may have lost 42 40, you know, instead of 42 21, but they would have at least had a shot when you have this terrible defense and you need somebody to keep up with them. Jameis can at least he can win a game 38 35 for you mm-hmm. more often than Derek Carr can, even though, again, it's cringeworthy and uncomfortable along the way. Yeah. Jameis feels just like this continual long shot, you know, like going, going to the dog track or a horse race and just spending all day taking the longest shot on offer, knowing that if it comes true, it's the big payday. He's tin cup going the for the chance, green every single right, time. But the chances of it ever happening are minimal. Like maybe you should just pick the favorite every time. Yeah. Um, I just, I, so it's interesting because more and more quarterbacks are kind of coming down to these guys that are just capable of putting together the right run, right? And you don't even need to catch fire for that long. Like, if you put together five games that are really good, which, as we said at the top of the show, with Trubisky happens all the time, you just get hot for the right five-game sequence, you can win a championship. Like, I, I would say twice. I would say the argument against Jameis is a pretty simple one, which is in today's NFL, you could scheme it up better than ever right so you can take a safer mid-tier quarterback surround put him with the right supporting cast 
and you can get the production without the turnovers. But I think the thing is that in order to get from just being playoff contender to Super Bowl, you need the guy. You need a guy that's capable of going on. You need a guy that's better than, that's capable of being better than okay, right? Oh, and Jameis so, has that. Yeah. So with Trubisky, you you can have a five game stretch where Trubisky catches fire like he's just done, and that makes the Bears more than good enough to win games, right? But it probably doesn't make them more than good enough to go into the playoffs to beat the Vikings, the Saints, and then the 49ers, right? Yeah. You need somebody who's capable of, beating, of, going, of becoming good enough that a team like the Bears goes from, okay, I can get into the dance to I can beat three good teams like that. And I don't think a guy like Trubisky is capable of it. Jameis is capable of it. But this was the whole Eli. Is it ever going to happen? This is the whole Eli thing, right? Yeah. Because Eli did not get to the playoffs the majority of the seasons as starting quarterback. But when he did, he he had two runs that did that. Right. But the point is... That was always the point behind, like, I'll take Jameis. And that's why I think, you know, with Giants fans and Daniel Jones, there might be something to that. That's what I'm saying, though. That's what keeps you betting on the long shot, right? right? Because the long shot is at least capable of coming in as opposed to... The you know the guy that is safer, but has no shot of ever actually achieving that. This is why, if you go back to our podcast in 2017, my prediction, which did not come true, and never will. Well, no, because that was in 2017. No, oh, my prediction was that the Chiefs. No, not your Jameis thing. No, no, no. That they were going to come through. They were going to go through like 10 or 12 weeks of Alex Smith, be in contention and all that stuff, and then they were just going to like unleash Mahomes. I really thought that that was the this plan, but what turned out it, it turned out that Alex Smith started throwing the ball down the field, led the league in passer rating, had the best statistical year of his career, and he fooled them just long enough. I still wonder if they did unleash Mahomes because they just, you know, he played week 17. Mm. If they did unleash Mahomes for the last 4 or 5 games and then into the playoffs, if they would have had a better shot. Right? Because who knows what Mahomes would have been like as a rookie and if that offseason really did mean a lot before his MVP season, yeah. but I really thought that that was potentially in the cards. They were going to get fed up with that offense. Maybe So maybe that's, I'll keep Jameis. When I'm GM, I'll keep Jameis as my backup. Mm. And I'll have Derek Carr. I'll have a nice Derek Carr, Alex Smith, get me through the regular season and then unleash Jameis for the playoffs. His market's going to be really interesting because someone's going to still think. Someone's going to be like you and be like, we're just, we're just one lucky season away from an MVP year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I want my job security on that type of volatility. Like Derek Carr is gonna, he's gonna keep your job. He's gonna get you at eight and eight. Well, I suppose he's gonna keep your job if you're John Gruden. You've got a ten year contract, right? The the volatility of Jameis Winston, really good stuff. The Colts lose again. They're starting to kind of fall off the map here. They scored thirty five. I think you know Brissett made a few nice plays. He was up and down as well. And I don't know the Colts. They're not really. I'm impressed that they're able to put up. It wasn't all offense, but they're able to put up some points with some of the guys they're trotting out there offensively as well. Yeah. The entire AFC South appears to be falling off the map, except the Titans. Uh, well, we're going to get to the Texans in a second, but I think the Texans have taken the reins from the Titans as the most confusing team week to week. Hmm. Let's just get to that game right yes. now. I just want a little bit of logic. Denver 38. week basis. Houston 20. Is that too much to ask for? So I think I think there's a re- like with the Titans. This was at Houston as well. Oh, I know. With the Titans, I think there was a reason, and you've got you always had uneven play for Marcus Mariota for a while, and then the secondary. It was they had a capable secondary. You didn't know what you were going to get. Houston secondary has been poor, but they've stumbled into some good games against New England. 
against a rookie Gardner Minshew. You know, they've they've stumbled into some good games and some decent game plans here and there. They they did a nice job against Minshew and against and and against New England they shut him down pretty much until the end, but you know, we thought that was more impressive. This team beat the Chiefs, lost to the Colts, then beat Oakland, Jacksonville, stomped Jacksonville, got annihilated by the Ravens, beat the Colts for in the, in the back, in the return match, beat the Patriots and then gets absolutely rocked by Denver yeah. at home. That is it's completely illogical. There's no rhyme or reason to that whatsoever. Here's my other answer for it. Jameis's volatility is within a game, right? Yeah. And then he doesn't have a ton of games where it's like, here's the best grade of the week. He has a lot of games where it's like, like we have these ongoing chats over here at PFF. I cannot tell you how many. I, I try to... I avoid them a lot because I'm trying to watch the games, but I tune in and there's a lot of, what are you doing, Jameis? Oh, hi, Jameis. What are you doing, Jameis? Oh, great play, Jameis. There's a lot of that in those chats, like within a game. Deshaun Watson's volatility is like a game at a time. And we've talked about this a while, too. He had a terrible game week four against Carolina, a terrible game in that Baltimore uh, loss in week 11. He was coming off one of his best games of the season against New England, just against a tough New England defense making good decisions, big-time throws down the field, not putting the ball in harm's way, and he plays a poor game against Denver. Watson has poor, full games that I think are also a big part of you don't know really what you're going to get from Houston. Denver, on the other hand, appear to have something in Drew Locke. Um, So he's interesting because his grade has not been great yet, but... Solid. And it, it looks different, right? It's back to... You know, with Joe Flacco at quarterback, it looked miserable. With Brandon Allen at quarterback, it didn't look miserable, but it didn't exactly look encouraging. Right. Now, with Drew Locke, at least it looks encouraging, even if the numbers and some of the results are perhaps flattering him. You just cut out a couple of his turnover-worthy plays. There's some aggressiveness there. I mean, the thing with Flacco, when Flacco threw the ball, he actually threw the ball okay. His aggre- like his, He was on that special level of conservative, and he took a million sacks. Yeah. And that's just a bad combination. If you're going to be Alex Smith, stop taking sacks. With Locke, he's at least aggressive. There's yeah. an ugly misread of a linebacker last week. And this ugly interception in the third quarter, the game's pretty much over. I mean, pretty close to over when he throws this, but it's still, it's a bad interception. But also, right? touchdown misread. to Noah Fant, where Fant goes up and mosses somebody. Like, Fant doesn't do that. Fant actually went True. and just robbed the ball from a guy. So Not, not common, right. right? So a throw of... Locks that is as important as anything for his numbers was all fat. Really. Right. Um, then you got 190 of his 300 yards came after the catch. So there's a lot of work being done. Fans after the catch as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So he, he, like I say, he looks like something, right? He's ultimately not going to be the finished article, obviously, because he's a rookie quarterback that wasn't a first round guy. You're talking about this one. This is a nice throw. Uh, look, he goes up it's right at the defender. That's right, right by his shoulder. Yeah, because he doesn't look at it. The defender because turns his and back's looks. turned. That's a good throw. That's a really good throw by Locke. No. Um, the defender turns and actually looks at that. Like it's right but that's over the point. Head. He's turning and running. He's not going to turn around. Of course he's going to turn around. People don't like stop looking for the quarterback but the, when it's this is, coverage. This is Locke playing like early career Flacco, which is zipping the ball outside the numbers with some velocity and giving his guys a chance to make plays. Flacco did not right, do, do that for the last probably five years yes. of his career. Let guys go up and make plays. And when that happens, you know, you're given, you know, you have a chance. 
to, to score some points. And that's what we saw from Denver. Right. So Locke is at least showing some significant signs of encouragement for this offense, which hasn't had any for quite a while. Like outside of court. Yeah. Obviously. So just like we didn't overreact to Daniel Jones, like I'm not going to overreact to Drew Locke, but good step in the right direction. There will be there'll be some good takes here. Like I'm already seeing takes. Why did Drew Locke fall out of the first round? He I think he got drafted exactly where he should. 40th overall or so. I mean, I probably would have taken him back into the first. I can't remember what we initially said, but it's because I would elevate every quarterback just because there's a chance. Well, that's the thing, right? It, 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 almost two different questions. It's like, where should he go? And based on where quarterbacks go, where should he go? Yeah, I'd say like, second round grade. But if you're like a late first round team, yeah, you take him. So we would have had similar grades on him to Daniel Jones, right? But if you accept the, Jones a little lower. Yeah, but similar, right? Yeah. But if you accept that one of them belongs in the first round, so does the other one. I think we had Jones a lot lower. Whatever. So if you're gonna take if you're gonna take one of those guys in the first round, the other one belongs there as well. Whereas but you know, in isolation you would say neither of them have first round grades. I think the biggest point for Locke, he looks so much more comfortable than he did in the preseason. Yeah. The preseason was concerning how slowly he was processing and all that stuff. And that was always part of the knock right he never really played in this offense in college that he um, had to fly through progressions it was a little bit more under Derek Dooley this last couple of years at Missouri but or his last yeah last two years but um, you just wanted to have a you know cleaner game all around and the fact that he looked slow in the preseason it looks a lot more comfortable now very encouraging I think for Broncos fans as that, usual we're gonna say hey let's not crown him yet yeah that, by the way, stuff. though, is the argument for playing Will Greer, even though he looked horrendous in the preseason. It would be. Is that other quarterbacks have looked terrible in the preseason, come in, and when the bullets are firing for real, looks okay. Yeah. But they're not going that way. So. I love seeing stuff in the chat here when we get to the Raiders game. Smooth point. Um, this also had a really fun play where, uh, was it a fumble or an interception? I don't even remember how it ended up in his hands. But Jeremiah Tachu had the ball and then just shoves it into the hands of uh, Kareem Jackson, who then returns it for six. Like, yeah. great play, because he was getting tackled. As opposed to the Fitz thing, where it's like, there's no way you should ever attempt that. Um, Love it. Tatu actually does do exactly what he should do and get rid of it to a guy who's standing right beside him and is fast, who then turns it into points. Yeah. Creating pressure continues to be an issue for the for the Texans. I, my, my thing with Houston, I do Houston radio every week with our friend Sean Salisbury, and every week I just come out there and I'm like, look, you got a, a quarterback who could play like a top three quarterback any given week. And you have a secondary that could play like a bottom three secondary any given week. So you predict the Texans for me mm. and a quarterback that can also, you know, put some duds out there as well. Do they know that they have your boy, Barkevious Mingo, who could get some pressure for them? <sighs> they don't. Oh, OK. Only five snaps. When you're GM. Mingo will be rushing the passer. He he's coming off a two-hurry game against New England mm-hmm. the previous week. I mean, he was like, he was Henry before Henry. <laughs> like the king of, you know, two pressures on 24 rushes, and they're they're all unblocked. You know? Yeah. Parkevious. Not a, yeah. Hmm. Hey, special team star, though. Based off a couple plays that I so, remember him making. The next AFC South team to be stinking. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. So Chargers they, 45. At one point, Jackson. they took the lead in this game. They opened the scoring, field goal, obviously, 3 nothing up, and then the Chargers put up 31 unanswered points before 
I think the mercy rule was called in this game, and they just wound the clock to end it. Look, Philip Rivers had like a what eighty-five yard screen pass to Austin Eckler. Yeah, at one that point. helped him average fourteen point three yards per attempt. Sure, but he was making some. Again, he's another guy like primetime game. We, we drew the line on Philip Rivers' career. It's over. He's done. He's not done yet. At one point, Austin Eckler had like hundred and ninety yards on seven touches or something. Yeah, like crazy. And he finished with not something only vaguely less absurd than that. Um, he was gashing them. Like, they, the Jacksonville's defense for a team that actually has a load of talent is amazingly bad in, in stretches. So Eckler finished with eight carries for 101 yards, uh, during which he broke six tackles to get that far. And then as a receiver, he had four catches for 112 yards and a touchdown. Like, he just absolutely wrecked the Jacksonville defense. Yeah, he did. Kind of amazing. I think the Jags, you know, a little bit of luster falling off of uh, Gardner. And the thing I loved about him earlier in the year was his ability to elevate the Chris Conleys of the world and DJ Charks of the world, guys that we didn't know, you know, could be pretty good receivers coming in. We, we didn't think we didn't have, have high expectations for them coming into the season. Chark has certainly been really, really good. I liked Gardner's ability to elevate those guys. We're not seeing that anymore. Chargers just look like a different team now that Derwin James is back. Hmm. Derwin's back. Three hurries, batted pass on nine rushes. So Yeah, and now that they're playing the Jags. But the Jags were just so bad. Yeah, they were bad. Chargers just dominated. There's not much else. Uh, yeah, Rivers is good. Eckler was ridiculous. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon was running through them. Like, they just, this was just domination. This was as lopsided a game as there was this week. Yeah. 45-10, Chargers win. Let's get to Titans 42, Raiders 21. Ryan Tannehill, another The best play of the week in it. Which play? Ryan Tannehill laying the absolute smackdown on Maurice Hurst. Oh, I thought you were going to say Derek Carr's fourth down no. throwaway. No. So, it, it was, the interception was unlucky, right? It was batted at the line. Maurice Hurst catches it, takes off running. Um, Tannehill, A, had to avoid a block. Like, as soon as the pick made, Deion Jordan tried to block him out of the, He had to run around Deion Jordan's block, chase down Hurst, and then absolutely wrecked him. Like, it was, it was the best tackle you'll see this week. Just level the dude. I just think the tenacity... I forget the great throws that Tannehill's making. The tenacity that he's showing, either running the ball, tackling Amari's Hurst, whatever it is this year, something's different about Tanny. Yeah. It's well, like then, a wide receiver chucking dimes, you know. Then goes out there and has, like, the game of his life off the back of that. Like, the guy threw an interception, which, as I've just said, wasn't really his fault, bad at the line, and still ended up with a pass rating of 140. Oh, yeah. He had three touchdowns. One, he averaged 14.5 yards per attempt, which included a 90-plus yarder. It's A.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. Continues to make a ton of plays. Yep. Five catches for 153. Completed 78% of his passes. Yeah. Again, despite an interception getting batted into Maurice Hurstans. So we're going to have some stuff up on uh, PFF.com about Ryan Tannehill. What do the Titans do? There was already some rumblings that they're ready to to re-sign him and all that stuff. And um, I think there's a couple ways to look at this with with the Tannehill discussion. I think it's fair. We keep talking about, well, you, if you have a mid-tier quarterback and you put him in the right, right situation, good stuff can happen. I think coming into the season, I mean, Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota, they're, they're 
they're Spider-Man emoji, right? I mean, they're Spider-Man uh, meme, right? They're, they're looking at each other. They're the same exact guy, which makes it which makes you think if you're the Titans and it, this offense is night and day different from Mariota to Tannehill makes you really become a Tannehill believer. So there's one argument for like, I feel like these are similar guys. They can make similar throws. They both probably take too many sacks. Mariota can't move the offense. Tannehill is has is running one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Big win for Tannehill and pay him a ton of money. On the other hand, I don't, you know, it's a seven game stretch of play where we have seven years of previous evidence where Tannehill's pretty good. Yeah. It's a pretty good quarterback. This is what the franchise tag was made for. In terms oh, of teams, so that's an right? easy solution. You can't, like, how could you do anything else? You can't let him walk after what he's just done this season. And yet, after what he's just done the previous seven years, you can't sign him to a $100 million contract either. So you've got to you've got to lock him down with the franchise tag and say do it again, right? Yeah. Like how could you possibly do anything else? I think the franchise tag works, and I will. I mean, even if he continues to have these ridiculous games down the stretch, I'll continue to say flirt with the draft prospects, bring him back on a franchise tag. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm trying to think of like previous previous guys in the middle of their career who had these types of turnarounds. I always come back to like Rich Gannon, right? And but you can't you can't just think everybody's going to be Rich Gannon, right? Well, yeah. Cuz Josh McCown was getting those comparisons in 2013 after his pretty good eight-game stretch. That's the thing. I think the game has changed so much that I just don't know that comparisons like that are even valid anymore. Like even if you assume that the, even if you assume that one random guy is significant enough that it's a trend to point to it's like the game has changed so much since 2007, let alone the late 90s, early 2000s. Like it's just, I don't, I don't know that you can get anything out of that. So the thing with, with Tannehill, though, too, there was like enough. He's still taking a ton of sacks and all that stuff. Fine. Yesterday he didn't, but overall he has. There was still like enough in Tannehill's career where he wasn't like a laughingstock quarterback. By the way, last year he was horrendous by our grading. This is the biggest jump in PFF passing grade that we've seen other than 2015 luck when he came back in 15 to 16 remember 15 he was hurt and it was just really weird he played horrendous and his passing grade jumped like 40 points Tannehill's up 40 points last year to this year now I don't think last year was his baseline at all it was right it was bad and he had a lot of luck statistically but just the one-year jump is huge and just shows some of the volatility of this stuff so he's somewhere in between you know, he's like a 75-rated quarterback type of guy year in, year out. If you know you have that guy, though, and he's pretty accurate. He's always been really good in our accuracy stuff. If you know you have that and you have an A.J. Brown and you have Hall of Famer Corey Davis and you got some guys to surround him with, it's the Dak question again. Do you feel, is there some comfort level with here's this mid to top mid-tier quarterback, however you want to define him, with these nice weapons, and I feel comfortable with that because I've seen it before, which is different from rolling the dice and trying to find another mid-tier quarterback, even if he's on a rookie contract. I mean, I think he's starting to buy you the opportunity like, to just you take a shot at a guy in the mid-rounds of the draft. Like, you, don't need to go, you don't need to go hunting for a top draft pick anymore yeah. the way you would have had to. If Tannehill had come in, been exactly the same as Mariota, now you've got no options. Now we actually need to make some serious things happen to either get one of the available um, NFL veterans, you know, a Teddy Bridgewater, a Jameis, whatever. You need to make some kind of move happen, 
or you need to start making something aggressive happen in the draft and go like roll the dice for a first round guy. Now I think you've got the uh, like you've got some wiggle room where you can say, okay, we'll bring Tannehill back, we'll franchise him, we'll make him prove it another year, um, and we can like let's not close the door on a young guy. We'll draft somebody in the mid rounds and see if we can develop somebody. But you're not you're no longer boxed into this. I got to go. I got to make something significant happen. On the other side, it's another game where, man, I just want Derek Carr to start chucking the ball down the field. And he had a play where he threw the ball away on fourth down in the red zone. Yeah. But he so, had another high completion percentage, 73.5. Two, like the, all right, throwing the ball away on fourth down, you're always going to look stupid. On the other hand, it's not like he didn't know. Like he just reached the point where there was nothing left to happen in the game and it was or nothing left to happen on the play and he was like pissed off at his receivers. He was just trying to make a point. Yeah. Well, not even make a point, right? But it's like, all right, I've got two things I can do here. Either I can just throw the ball to defender and look like an idiot, or I just throw it away and like, you know, temper tantrum because none of you guys are doing what you should have done. It's he, the Bruce chose, Arians throwing a challenge flag when he didn't have any. Right. He chose the temper tantrum. Right. So like it's not like he it's not like he did it's not like he didn't go full Kirk Cousins he just like didn't realize and then after it was like oh crap that's stupid like he knew what he was doing and just wanted to was just annoyed that his receivers didn't give him any other option yeah it's not that crazy I mean, there was a essentially a coverage bust for a forty nine yarder to uh, to Rico for you know that was his forty nine yard touchdown and I have to say it's not the best group of receivers that he's throwing to over here no but I mean. You know, this is the same group that we said were surprisingly good earlier in the year. Like This is why I, th- I think the story about the Jags offense and the Raiders offense is it just took them a little time, but they've regressed back into what they, we thought they were. Bottom five un- um, playmaking units. Right, we took no end of crap for being mean to the Raiders and actually eventually gave them credit for consistently overachieving, whereas really what we should have done was stuck to where we thought they were. And yeah, we should have. would have been right now. Definitely should have. Instead, we got made look stupid because we were pandering to the Raiders fans. How's that best draft class of all time going? Hmm. Well, Cleveland Furl had, uh, had two hurries on 12 Two hurries. A couple hits. Uh, and that's about Trayvon it. Trayvon Mullen. To be fair, half of it has merely injured. shown flashes so far. Yeah. To be fair, most of it is injured at this point, so it's difficult to tell. Yeah. Like, true. Uh, Mullins had three, three, three straight poor games since the declaration that this is the greatest <laughs> rookie draft class of all time. Josh Jacobs has been on fire, apparently playing through a broken shoulder, which yeah. they've discovered to the point of needing to shut him down. I need him back next week for my fantasy playoffs, though. Well, that's the important thing, as long as you relay that information to them. My uh, fantasy advice, as always, it was stress-free for me yesterday. Just be better than everybody. Bye week. Okay. Had the bye week. Tennessee, 42. The Raiders, 21. Tennessee coming on strong. Nobody wants to play those Titans in the playoffs. Well, they now they now own the division, right? They're top of the division. They have, is it the Texans they still have to play? They, they, can, they can win the division. Head to They're the, in control. The postseason. Of their own destiny, potentially. They got Houston. What's the schedule look like? I think they, they play. They play two out of three times here. They haven't played yet. Yeah, I think so. What kind of scheduling is this? I hate this. Wow, that's going to be great. It's AFC worth- South is going to be not how hard could it be. It's going to be like this is it. I can't remember what the game was, but yeah, they 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 tend to have scheduled all these sort of back to back late division games late in the season for pre- precisely that scenario, right? Where the yeah, division's play- pretty close. They play week 15 and 17. Right. Where the division's pretty close, you get quick fire back to back games that actually ends up having significance in deciding things 
there was another game, I can't remember where it was, but some absolute dead, no hope, nothing game is happening like twice in the next three weeks because, you know. Well, the Bengals and Browns. That's that's probably what it is. Yeah. It's like, the, you know, the Battle of Ohio twice when nobody cares. It's yeah, just like real. sometimes it works out nicely and you're like, yeah, these two games mean everything. And sometimes like, yeah, there's now two games coming. I didn't want to see the first one. I certainly don't want to see a rematch of the first one. But let's just move on. Let's just sum it down into one and move on. Where are we next here? Patriots at home against the Chiefs. 23-16 Chiefs win. A lot going on in this game, man. Yeah. Um, this was kind of crazy because this it felt like this game should have been fairly well out of sight earlier. And then it became a close game. Um, like the first half was all Kansas City. And there were a ton of plays where Tyreek Hill was wide the hell open. And Mahomes, for whatever reason, hadn't looked in that, like, hadn't looked there, hadn't gone there. Mahomes did not play well. No. So at halftime, it looked like this could get kind of ugly. Like they're fairly well in control and they haven't right. gone near Tyreek Hill, who's been abusing Jonathan Jones in particular on most of these routes. Like this game could get out of hand pretty quickly. And then it started to go like swing back in the other direction. Like to start the game, the Chiefs had a block punt, right? Then the Patriots got one back. And the whole thing started to look like actually this is going to be one of those games where against all against everything, the Patriots end up pulling it back and sneaking out with a win um, and maintain the aura of, you know, everything New England. And then the refs happened. The refs happened. It's about yeah, it's a shame that the Patriots just could never catch a break from the officiating from an officiating standpoint. So I don't I I hate talking about the refs. The one time this year where I thought it was acceptable was the Lions Packers game. <laughs> the Ill- illegal hands to the neck. That was ridiculous. The Patriot this game though, Nikhil Harry scored a touchdown that wasn't. Hmm. And Which, then the Patriots were forced to use a challenge on a fumble that was that also got blown dead that should have been a return for a touchdown. Yes. So there was some pretty significant refereeing in this. Also, beyond that, just in general, the the control that Bogers, Bogar, whatever his name is, his Ron crew, Boger. they just kept, it, this was like their strategy. Let's throw the flag. Right. Pick it then up. let's just talk about it. <laughs> let me, let New York check, see if we were right or wrong. It's like, actually, there wasn't uh, pre-snap motion on that play. I don't know. That's the worst plan in the world. Um, well, they should have done that on the Harry touchdown. It's like, okay, if we call this a touchdown, there's at least a review. So the Harry touchdown thing was interesting, right? Because they couldn't challenge it because they ran out of challenges, right? Yeah, right. And so the thing is, I don't even hate the initial call because it looked live like he had stepped out. Like I thought he'd stepped out live until I saw the replay. Oh, I thought he had it. There was this one like frame, you know, right after where it looks really like he's put his foot out. But anyway, I can understand that entirely being called not out live. That's what replay is there for. But you then end up in a situation where you actually can't challenge it because you're out of challenges and they just get hosed. So the, the first Belichick challenge was for a spot plus the offensive pass interference. And when CBS pointed out that it was kind of they're looking at both, it felt like a smarter challenge. Right. And you did kind of see Kel- you know, Kelsey. So here's the thing, though. That is, the, that is a perfect example of why the conversation has to be mic'd up and broadcast. Or you need to do better than the ruling on the field stands, right? Right. Because... You spotted that ball on the 40. It was like a yard and a half off. So You easily could have called offensive pass interference or just respotted right. the ball. Whoever on the rules analyst was, was like, well, you see, the problem is it needs to be. They're looking at is it is it a is it irrefutable evidence that it's not a first down, right? Not that we've like screwed up the spot. Like, but either way, 
you can't just come out there and say, despite the video that you're looking at right now, the ruling on the field stands. Yeah. With no further explanation. Right. You need to come up with something that articulates why you are going doing the exact opposite of what everybody is looking at on the big screen and saying, well, this is getting changed. Because initially, that was another one where initially I thought that was a terrible challenge. I didn't think, I thought it was clear first down based on um, forward progress. Then they showed the replay. It's like, wow, he's like a full yard back. Oh, I thought this is yeah. definitely getting changed. At first, I definitely thought it was a first down because it looked like the ball kind of like went behind right. his head. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely going to be a first until you saw the replay. And they show the replay. And it's like, no, he's a full yard off from right. where they call that. And then they come back and he's just the ruling on the field stands. Like, well, come on. Like, this is that, that's just an unacceptable level of communication, given what we're currently seeing on the screen. Either you need to broadcast the conversation that that guy is having with New York or right. he needs to do more explanation as to why what you're seeing is not what we're rolling with. It was, um, yeah, it was just multiple calls kind of stacked up. Gilmore strips Travis Kelsey. Pretty much should have been a fumble return for a touchdown. So the New England defense essentially doing it again between a punt block. That should have been returned. They did a really nice job on Mahomes, but Mahomes also, he just left a lot of plays on the table. And one of my, a couple of my big takeaways in this one, Kansas City's offense looks like it's three times as fast as New England's offense as far as explosiveness and speed. Mahomes is leaving a ton of plays on the table. They should be even better. And then the three, I wrote this in our my takeaways this morning, the three-play sequence that I think sums up the Patriots offense. Second and seven, they go miscommunication on a back shoulder. Then Brady hits Jacoby Myers in the hands who drops it. Then they go for it on fourth and seven. Edelman's open. Brady misses him. And to me, you know, when we keep talking about how you know, what's regressing with Brady, reminds me of my my basketball days, Sam. Mm. I think his his brain is telling him when he's when he's trying to get to his second read, his footwork's just not matching up with where his mind is going. When he's getting to a second read, he's been so good through the years of just you know getting his mechanics in order, getting the ball to where it needs to go. The Edelman thing, I don't think it was his first read or whatever. His footwork just wasn't there. Had to kind of throw it all arm, and he missed him, and that's. If you're talking about Brady missing throws this year at a slightly higher level, which is what it is, it's a slightly higher level than it's been before. It's those types of plays where he either, even just like the last play, he kind of floated it up the, yeah. um, a little bit under pressure. And not he should have laid it out a little bit further. Well, that, so to it, give Edelman a shot to kind of like stack the defender. Yeah, he needed to do one of two things. He either needed to put it two yards further to where it was if he was going to float it in with that arc, or he needed to fire it in like or zip it in. at that trajectory and i don't think when he has to throw off platform i don't think he has the same type of velocity you know that he that he that he had before and it was you know he hasn't lost as much arm strength as peyton did that last year because even when peyton like if he really had to like fire it in there back then he could i think brady still has more velocity there but it's the off platform stuff and it's it's more footwork generated and having that match up with where is his head's at so So his other issue i think is you know, Tom Brady used to absolutely wreck teams if they blitzed him. Yeah, right. Couldn't this was do huge. It, it yep. was one of those quarterbacks, and that most of the top ones are like this, where you can't blitz them because they're too good at understanding what you're doing and just carving you up. Now, and I think again, it's driven by the fact that the receivers suck. Right. He can't. And so you can blitz him now because they the receivers don't either they don't win and get open initially, or they don't make the same adjustments and they're not in the right place. So Brady can't trust him to be where he needs to throw the ball. Either way, it's achieving the same thing, which is now you can blitz Brady without the fear that he's going to carve up your coverage behind that. 
and blitzes are more effective than pass rushes, all of the things being equal. So teams are now ramping up the blitz on Brady, and he's no longer carving into ribbons. So again, things are getting harder and harder for him until somebody shows that they're capable of winning on the back end. They had limited answers against the blitz. I mean, so he ended up 7 of 13 for 66 yards. I think 20 of those yards came. He just kept throwing like the five-yard curl to Edelman. Edelman's the only guy he trusts. Yeah against the blitz and so honestly this issue even started creeping up back in 2017 when the patriots were a little bit more of a vertical passing attack edelman was out for the season when teams started blitzing brady he didn't have as many answers because his boy julian was out he didn't have that perfect answer now they've got fewer edelman type of answers you don't have amandola part of the offense anymore they're starting to lose some of those options and i think gronk actually papered over a lot of these problems because essentially for a long time now they haven't had they haven't had the receivers that will win um, or be on the same page with Brady. But when you've got Gronk there, you've got an outlet, right? You oh, yeah. always So even when you missed Edelman or even when Edelman was covered up, you had Gronk that you knew you could just heave the ball in his direction. For sure. Now, no Gronk. So you've got Edelman still, who's the one guy you trust. But now teams are taking away Edelman and saying, win with anybody else. I dare you. And there's nobody else that can. And, you know, I think it's probably a bunch of things working at the same time. These guys are just not good receivers, so they're not getting open. But the other thing is, you know, our, our colleague now, Solomon Wilcots, like his big thing is he thinks these guys are not making the same side adjustments during the route as Tom Brady is. So something so that happens, the- you know, the receiver and the quarterback needs to re- make the same read, make the same adjustment to the route, and be in the same spot when it comes to ball plus receiver. Brady doesn't trust the other guys to make the same read and be where they should be. Right. That was the the miscommunication I've mentioned. So you could see the Chiefs bringing the blitz. Philip Dorsett had man coverage on the outside. Brady threw a back shoulder. Dorsett just kept running. Right. They haven't, and then they haven't been on the same page multiple times. And then uh, the boss, Chris, yeah. was on total access this week. And they pulled out the stat. Yeah, the Patriots had like 20 miscommunications. It's like double the amount of anybody else. When Mahomes was second. And, and miscommunications can happen either right, wrong, route, wrong, uh, different routes, mm-hmm. or just the depth of the route. There's so many different ways for it to happen. There's so much precision to the passing game. So, I mean, that's where New England's off. Every part of their passing offense. And when they did have guys open, there was pressure. I mean, there was just always something going wrong. Credit the Kansas City defense. They did a nice job. I thought Spagnola did a nice job attacking and when I envisioned the Chiefs bringing him in, again, I th- he could scheme it up better than, differently at least, than what Sutton did. It's not just man-on-man the whole time, so he did a nice job there. Um, any concerns with Mahomes, or is it just, hey, you're still playing a tough Patriots defense, and they just create enough indecision, and Romo did a nice job saying, hey, they're playing some cover two, they're playing some man, they were mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that was ugly. Um, that was, like, his worst game of the year, I think. I, like I say, it's, you know, it's a good Patriots team. Let's wait. Mahomes is regressing. Is he too old? Is he over the hill? I mean, he's just dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. I mean, Honestly, that game he went down with a hit. Looked like it was clutching he, like his liver or something. That's he's so tough. Good. He kept getting hit. And then I thought there were Shaking times off his hand as well. Like yes. there was a bunch of things that were wrong with him. Mahomes is facing a ton of injuries, and I thought there was a few times he was trying to break away from the rush where he just he doesn't have the same athleticism that he had right. last year. So I think there's probably like four different injuries right now impacting Agreed. him in some way, shape, or form. So let's you know give him a break a little bit. Um, Baltimore Ravens now really in control as far as the number one seed goes yeah. with the AFC. The, they would have to lose twice for New England to have a shot there. New England's still in control of their own um, first-round bye, mm-hmm. which is you know what they're shooting for at this point. Steelers 23, Arizona Cardinals 17, and the Duck wins again. Mm-hmm. And we now have mentioned Kyler Murray earlier in the podcast. 
young quarterbacks don't just always get better. The worst, by far, two-game stretch of Kyler Murray's career. This has been ugly. Yeah, that was ugly. Um, this was the best game the Duck has played, though. Yeah. He's starting to make some plays, man. He is. They <laughs> they pulled up at one point like a, you know, a, a quarterback comparison graphic, and it was like Kyler Murray, number one overall pick, like $24 million signing bonus or whatever. It's like Duck, $1,000 signing bonus, you know, undrafted, just signed off the street. It just it seemed a little bit contrived, but you know, yeah. But, but Duck, I played him in this game. He did bizarrely. You know, Kyler making poor decisions into the end zone, fumbles, uh, turnover worthy plays an issue. We thought it would be a tough matchup with Pittsburgh's defense, who just continues to excel. And you know, it's one of the stories of the season that they're still in this playoff hunt with the Duck. The Duck, another uh, quarterback, another two sacks charged to Kyler Murray. Yeah, which puts him over twenty for the season. Remember, nobody else has had more than 15 that were a quarterback's fault. Man, that's so many. Bud Dupree had two sacks and two hurries despite 34 rushes, uh, actually a below-average pass rush grade. Yeah, and one of them was one of the Kyle Murray ones. That right. Where he just was running into right. did craziness and then ended yeah. up in, in uh, Bud's arms. T.J. Watt, he had that pick, right? Watt in the end zone? Watt has been pretty crazy in terms of what he's done it was interesting they end zone interception where kyler threw it right to him they were talking about how tj watt has become the leader of this defense um he was like you know if mike tomlin was saying if you'd asked me before the season who the leader of the defense is i would have said unquestionably cameron hayward he's right. like but now it's, it's tj watt and it's been sort of fun watching him take ownership of this defense and i know that's all sort of like it's all intended to be like hey look at tj watt isn't he great there's a way of listening to that and being like Cameron Hayward just let this guy come in here and take his team from him. Yeah, no, what's up with that? <laughs> and Hayward's having his best season. Right. As far as what Duck did, completed all three of his passes at 10-plus yards. Really nice touchdown with Deontay Johnson, corner of the end zone, put it down and away from coverage, up and away mm-hmm. from coverage. Um, so 16 of 19 for 152, just a nice, efficient effort. This is like early career Big Ben, yeah. right? Just complete, you know, Throw the ball under 20 times, complete some passes, keep the offense afloat, and let the defense win it. And then the, <clears throat> on the other side, one of uh, Kyler's picks was the was Joe Hayden doing the old bait, you know, yeah. cover two type thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna be out of here. Don't worry. And then nah, nah, yeah, I'm still here in the flat. Bad. Jump on that route. Yeah, Renner looked at me in our production meeting today. He goes, that was the worst two minute drill I've ever seen. Yeah, it wasn't Arizona good. trying to make the comeback. So not great there. So you know, we're we're a couple weeks removed from being really encouraged. Kyler's going to be that guy. He's going to take that year two jump and you add a little bit more running to it and he's going to be you know, in the MVP race next year, right? He's going to take that big step forward. But um, this is concerning because, again, we're looking at the, the full body of work in these last two games have uh, tanked his grade in season and optimism Yeah, because they've been that bad. No, the last two games have been abysmal. But I think... You know, Charged I, with six sacks in the last two games just to him, too. You keep talking about that total. He's had six. one, two, three, four, five, six games where he's been charged more than for more than one sack. Yeah, he's got to get crazy. rid of the ball. Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I think we saw enough good before the last two games that you can still be encouraged regardless of how the season ends. Um, but the last two games have been disastrous. Having yeah. said that, they've come against two decent defenses. Like, you know, we saw this week what the Rams are capable of doing. Um, we know that Pittsburgh's defense is good. So, you know, two, in his defense, those have been probably the two most difficult defenses he's faced, or at least two of the three or four. Um, so 
Yeah, you know, I'm, Kyler's still probably going to be all right. Not, you're not, uh, you're not off the Kyler train. No, I mean, I don't think the last two games would take you off a bandwagon that you're already on. Like, obviously, they were bad. And it's a setback, but I think we've seen enough good from him this year to think we'll be all right. That's fair. Let's round it up. Wrap it up with Sunday Night Football. Mm. The Rams defeat the Seattle Seahawks. Was that the only one that picked the Rams in this one? Probably. 28-12. to 12. I, I don't like to buy into one-week sample sizes, but there was a certain crispness to the Rams offense the previous week against Arizona that made me potentially buy in. I was like, all right, home game. Russell, Seattle feel like, feels like they're on the downslope a little bit offensively. It was another game where Russell Wilson made a ton of throws, but just did not show up in the box score or in the stats or in the score. They only scored six points yeah. offensively. Um, but there was something about the Rams offense last week against Arizona that made me buy in, and I think it continued this week. It looked a lot like previous years. Rams offense is where they got linebackers and safeties on a string. There's misdirection. There's tempo to it, and they just look really, really efficient and good. The one thing that I did uh, predict heading into this game was that Aaron Donald would wreck the Seahawks again, which just happens every time he faces them, and that was true. Two sacks, two hits, three more hurries, a batted pass. Two, two, three. Right. This was Aaron Donald as good as Aaron Donald gets and was a big part of this whole thing. Um, but you're right. The, like, the whole Rams, top to bottom, looked better. Yeah. Um, I think... Like, I think, honestly, part of that is that the Seahawks team is not great. Like, they have some problems. They can be exposed. It's not like, you know, facing a team like Baltimore, where if you're not on the top of your game, you're going to get blitzed. Yeah, there's something to that, too. The Seahawks have just been um, playing with fire, playing with the run game too much. The defense has been better in recent weeks, but, you know, defense is volatile. So how much do you really buy into that? Um, You know, I think one of the stories, too, (laughs) outside of the Ravens game, this Rams defense yeah. has been on lockdown since the the Jalen Ramsey addition and Troy Hill being a starter. There you go. Troy Hill making some big plays. There's the big thing. Should have had a pick early on. Whatever. But pass that breakup. Yeah. Ten targets for Troy, four catches, an interception, a pass breakup. Seals the game. Yeah, that was like a... By the way, did you see there was okay. a point I meant to grab a uh, picture of it, but I was too lazy to actually move and get it. There was a picture on the sideline of Troy Hill and uh, Jalen Ramsey sitting next to each other. You know, like helmet off sitting on the bench, right? It looks like you and me sitting next to each other, right? It's like Jalen Ramsey looks twice the size of Troy Hill. It's not like Jalen Ramsey's the biggest human being in the world. Like he's not sitting next to an offensive lineman or anything, right? These two guys play the same position and they couldn't look more. They couldn't look less alike in terms of body shape. Yeah, completely different. But to me, that's how you win in the NFL is you get different sized corners that can do different things uh dk metcalf put a pretty sweet double move on ramsey but it was an even better throw that put the ball right so right it, on it the worked quite line. well right because you have jalen ramsey who's big going up against dk metcalf who's like 6'3 230 and then you have troy hill going up against tyler lockett who's also a midget so it was you know worked can't nicely he's nice little can't say midget small beep small person yeah well who's small person shorter it's not as it's not as succinct tyler lockett who is also vertically and girthly challenged yeah anyway um so this this is interesting because you know wilson in the passing offense didn't really find any uh rhythm in this game whatsoever but uh you know wilson did make some throws you know didn't play that poorly but 
um, it, it is one of those games where Seattle, you know, Chris was mentioning it too. They don't like playing this out of flow type of game. They don't like playing that where it's you got to drop back and throw. They like and they kept running on third and one and you know converting these first downs with the run game when they probably should have been taking even more shots. Passer rating under pressure of zero for Wilson. Yeah, well, that was at one point he was like at one hundred five this year, so that's been you know destined yeah to regress. So sixteen dropbacks, nine attempts, so you know a couple of sacks and some um, you know, five sacks, in fact. Uh, and then just two completions for 19 yards and a pick. Yeah. So when the Rams were able to pressure him, it was game over. Yep. And they did. They did a good job at 16. 16 pressured dropbacks. Yeah, Seattle's passing offense, just a um, little out of sync overall. Yeah. Five sacks as well. So Rams still have a shot at the playoffs. I think right. the bigger story here is the story that you had coming into the season. Can McVeigh adjust, adjust? Can they catch up with the rest of the league so is he adjusting are they back on track i think that's you know something to really watch these last three weeks of the season because they look good yeah i do some espn los angeles radio thing every monday and last week their guy was his his catchphrase was uh was it seven and five still alive i was like yeah i mean kind of it's more alive now than it was a week ago yeah it is still alive so there you go man week 14 in the books we got carson wentz versus hall of famer eli manning tonight Mm. which we've already decided carson wentz will be amazing because the ginger talent has not been used at all yet and he's the only guy with ginger left to play that's it so carson wentz is going to be incredible carve up the giants eli is going to be eli therefore not enough to win i think eli this is a great way to just test all this eli is going to look not much different from how daniel jones has looked yeah if that does happen, by the way, the way we're predicting it, Dallas and Philadelphia will now be tied at 6-7, and seven, the top of the NFC East. Well, it's just going to be a showdown. Uh, NFC East, how hard could it be? AFC South, look out, here comes Tannehill. These hashtags are changing right before our eyes. Look out, here comes Tannehill. That's it. In a cool two hours, we are out. Really nice uh, week 14 in the books. We'll be back later in the week, mm-hmm. previewing week 15. Yeah. Sound good? Before you take off to some award ceremony. I'm going to be there. I get to go near the red carpet. Not on it, <laughs> near the red but I get carpet. to go like in and around the red carpet. Yeah. Keep an eye on PFF social media for some uh, pictures of the red carpet if I can get close <laughs> enough. We'll see what happens. College football awards this week. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later in the week. Preview in week 15. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long 
to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.